Hey, it's Josiah. Before we get started with this episode, I have something very special to share with you. You know, we've delved deep into what it means to be an Enneagram 5 together for the past few years, especially with our friend of the show, Sam Greenberg, or as many of you know her, the Enneagram expert. And now we want to go even deeper with you. We've worked together with Sam to craft an online workshop exclusively for type 5s to help you unlock the secrets of connection with every Enneagram type. This is not just another generic workshop. It's a deep dive into understanding and nurturing relationships tailored specifically for your unique perspective. Imagine getting practical, actionable insights on connecting with each of the nine Enneagram types all through the lens of a type five. Sam's going to guide you on how to build meaningful relationships, sharing strategies and insights specifically designed for fives. I've seen firsthand how Sam's insights can transform understanding and communication. And I'm so excited to partner with her to bring this exclusive workshop to you. Whether you're looking to deepen current relationships or navigate new ones, this workshop is a game changer for fives seeking genuine connection. Spots are limited, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. So head over to Enneagram5.com connection to secure your place and begin your journey towards richer, more authentic connections. Once again, go to Enneagram5.com connection or visit the link in the description to get your ticket to the workshop today. Cody. Yes. <laughs> what would you say if I told you that I need you? That's a tree you don't want to bark up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about relationships and specifically romantic relationships and how we view them as fives, how we deal with them, some of the pitfalls we've seen, uh, some of the ways we've managed that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's get started with our history of relationships. Oh my God, you... <laughs> I know you've been really looking forward to this conversation, as have I. I, did, I, I didn't know what we were going to talk about <laughs> until this moment. <laughs> That's the way I like it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Here we go. So I, you know, you and I have very different stories. Yeah. Opposites. Yeah. Complete opposites. Uh, so I thought it might be fun to... I was very promiscuous. <laughs> Whereas you... Had one person ever. <laughs> yeah, so. Let's, I'm sorry, mom. Ahead of time, my mom listens to this podcast. Just stop. Just please just hit pause. Don't even listen to this episode. I already know where this is going. <laughs> I'm sorry, wife, for <laughs> listening to my story. <laughs> no, for me. Because oh. it's the only person I have to talk about. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows who it is because <laughs> I've only had one. Right. Yeah. So true. I'm sorry, Amy. Yeah. 
but this conversation is going to happen. It's all going to be about her, I guess. <laughs> none, none of my past relationships, I don't think anybody that I know of listens to this podcast. I, I know at least one of them, my, my high school sweetheart, which I hate that term, but I know she at least knows this podcast exists and is fully supportive of it. Oddly enough. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she listens to it though. So I guess we'll know after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start there. What, what was your first relationship, Cody? My first relationship, I was, I was 14 and she was 17. Oh, yeah. I started out promiscuous from the very beginning. Super. My mom loved this. <laughs> it was like you think it was going to go. I mean, there was met her at church, I guess. I think I met most females at church during the teenage years. But the thing is, I was attracted to a certain type of personality and it was usually the type of personality that I could continue to control and manipulate. Mm. I was a sneaky little snake as a teenager. <laughs> and so even at a young, young age, I was able to maintain this facade of like mysterious, dark, not giving all, not putting all, not playing all my cards. Right. So even at 14, like I managed to catch the attention of a 17 year old, which is just silly. But for a 14 year old, it was pretty hot and heavy. I remember making out in my parents' hot tub and my mom knew she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I dated a girl that would lived in my neighborhood that I met. I had this, it's kind of very convenient. So I used to ride my bike around the neighborhood and I would see this girl from afar and like I was, I had a big crush on her. I don't, and, and I guess we did, I, I was 15. So freshman year of high school, I guess around that time. And she was in ROTC and it was a, it was a whole thing. We dated for like maybe two months. It was not, not much of a relationship, but what turned out, I didn't know this at the time, but that was actually going to be my MO was dating somebody two to four months and then just moving on. Mostly because no one knew what bipolar disorder is at that age. And so every time I would lose my shit and self-destruct, everybody's like, I'm out. And so I would be like, okay, cool. And then three days later, I'd be like, why did they leave? And so I like started this weird uh, cycle of codependency and having this weird and having that rejection complex building over and over again until I got to the point where when I was like 18, 19, I was so unhealthy because I would like latch onto people. But then also I was fucking insane. So I drove people crazy and also was just like, but don't leave. It was the worst situation ever for any, per it, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> so I was my own worst nightmare. And so that happened a lot. And the thing, and, and so from this point on, you were there for all of the relationships really. Um, so you'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Because of their name, because we met when we were 21. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's relationships have been weird for me for the most of my life because I've always I spent a good portion of my life thinking that I needed relationships in my life because of my teenage years. And in actually in a weird like kind of crossover way with you where you had this uh, idealistic way of looking at like high school. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had that a little bit maybe seeking out romanticism in my life, but also really wanting to control it. So it wasn't ever real. It wasn't like sweeping somebody off their feet and doing the whole like romantic, um, what you see in romantic comedies or whatever. That's what I wanted it to be. But I was not that person. I'm usually 
in my teenage years, I was the person that was probably who they were running away from in the, in the romantic comedy. <laughs> um, and so it's hard for me to live that, it, to imagine that now. But uh, yeah, so when I was, <laughs> actually I have a really funny story to tell actually in this, in this chronological order. So when I was 15-ish, I was dating this girl who was um, particularly unhealthy for me, I, who is healthy at 15. And, uh, I remember I wanted to break up with this girl cause I met another girl. Right. And I, and, and, and there was a little bit of crossover there. Right. So I kind of started talking to this other girl and was nothing crazy happening. We were just like talking, but it was like phone conversations and whatever. And cause texting didn't exist at this point. We're that old. And, uh, so there was still phone conversations happening. So actually that actually is a great leap, uh, kind of lead into this part. I was on a landline <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was talking to, uh, the other, the girl that I was kind of dating could sense that something was up. Right. So she's starting to have this like spiral out of control panic situation. So she's calling me and whatever, while I'm also simultaneously talking to the girl and like giving her a narration of the situation. Cause I'm trying to figure out how to break up with this girl, but I don't know how, because I'm a child. <laughs> And she's calling in while I'm talking to this other person and I'm going back and forth. And there's a moment where I, I click over and I'm just like, I'm so fed up with the situation. It's going back and forth. And so I click over and I tell the girl that I'm interested in, I don't know what I'm going to have to do. Like, this is crazy. I'm just going to have to break up with her. And it was the other girl. <laughs> so you had one of those TV moments. I had a TV moment. <laughs> and she was, and I remember very distinctly her being like, nice, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that ended <laughs> very quickly and abruptly. Uh, and I don't believe I ever saw her again. <laughs> uh, but that's the, that's the beauty of landlines and clicking over that. That's not something that people have to deal with anymore. But, uh, yeah, so that was, that happened. And so the, the girl that I was interested in and talking to, I ended up dating for, from the, like 16 until 19 shows that in that, that, that it doesn't sound very long when I say it out loud, but at the time it felt like a very long time. And I mean, three years is a long time when you're in your, when you're a teenager. Yeah. yeah. And it was off and on to some degree. And there was some like in between things that happened there. And I was, you know, a shithead. So like there was things that I did that was not nice and, you know, dated other people in between and the kind of just stupid stuff. But there was a whole kind of progression between 16 and 19 where I became kind of a person that was really shitty and was not easy to be around or be with because I kind of full, I became the lowest point of my emotional health at that point, trying to figure out who I was going to be and emotionally separated from everything and everyone around me and was always looking in and couldn't, couldn't figure out how I was always the outside looking in, but I was doing it to myself. And so that was really strange for me because every relationship was always unhealthy because I was the unhealthy one. So no matter how I drove everybody insane <laughs> and my, my mom now, if you asked her now, she'd be like, God, you just dated so many crazy people. And I was like, no, <laughs> I made them crazy. <laughs> and I see that now I could make anyone crazy. I could make Madison crazy now if you, I really wanted to. You are the common denominator. I was the common denominator and I was just insane. And I, but I was a cool and collected insane. So it was really hard to peg that on me. I was always the one who was in control. 
but I was always gaslighting people and making them think they were insane for thinking or feeling the things that they did. It was terrible. So relationships to me was a means of getting what I wanted and not sharing anything with anyone. Mm. It was a one-way street, a hundred percent. And so, yeah, that was, that was a bad time and it was a bad time for everybody involved. And if anybody, if somehow any of, any of the people involved with me at that time is listening to this, I'm really sorry. I was a terrible human being. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there was no way of having a real relationship with me at that time. It took me most of my twenties to figure out how to actually like have a relationship. And I honestly, like we're skipping ahead, but I, I wake up all the time and be like, should I be in a relationship? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, and I don't, I don't, I don't in any way believe I deserve the relation, relationship I'm in now, like in any way. Dude, uh, I've, I've been, I've been married 11 and a half years. And I still do that too, which we'll get into. And maybe that's healthy. Honestly, I, I don't know. It's, it's a whole thing. Like I, I constantly, I value my space and my time so much. And it's really hard for me to be in a relationship and it's a constant challenge to my ego and to my self-awareness and all of the things. And it's, I didn't, I didn't ever accept that before. And it took, I, I was in a relationship in my early twenties, which who you, whom, you know, for like four years, it was my longest relationship at the time. And it was also my probably most unhealthy relationship. It was terrible. It was awful. Terrible. It was such a dark place for me, but well, and it made, it made things so much worse because she was a pastor's kid. And, and, and honestly, I think I liked her parents more than I liked her. <laughs> You guys kept breaking up and then getting back together. And every time I'm just like, God damn it, Cody. <laughs> Neither of you should be with the other one. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was terrible. Uh, and I, and it was her that finally broke it off for good, you know, because it, it, it we'd been, been together so long. It was just kind of a security blanket, which everybody, every, this is such a classic story. And everybody can kind of relate to that, I feel like, to some degree. I'm sure. Most people have had that kind of situation, but except for you, except for me, <laughs> I have no exes. Yeah, you have no exes. <laughs> God, so weird. <laughs> I really don't know if I learned how to share space with another human being until after I was married and forced to. And then it was just like, it was just this constant, like clusterfuck of a situation where I was like, how did I get here? Like how did, and honestly, it, this is kind of getting into a bigger conversation, but I realized I got there the same way I got everywhere else in life at that point. I didn't make any decisions. I just kind of went with it all the time. I never made any definitive decisions. I didn't decide to break up with somebody. I didn't decide to date somebody. I didn't decide to be in a career or do anything. I just kept falling into it over and over again. And that was kind of my base for all relationships was like, well, they're here now and I'll get what I can out of them. Yeah. So it was very utilitarian. Uh, I'm, has anybody been listening to this podcast? <laughs> I'm a hundred percent utilitarian. I don't grow a beard unless it's cold. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I, I'm always utilitarian and I actually have to fight against that to, uh, have more meaning in my life more than utilitarianism hmm. and, and this idea of like humanism and, and what we are here on this earth to do and that, and, and get past the idea of that we're just a cancer <laughs> as, as a human race. And, and then not fall into, uh, nihilism and just be like, I mean, it, what else is there other than utilitarianism and what you can get out of everything? And I still fight with that to some degree because our, what else is there? We're just here to get what we can. 
and then leave forever. Do you remember when we started the show and we were, we were just like, by the way, we're basically extreme narcissists. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. <laughs> or at the very least, I don't know. Nihilism and, and, and narcissism is not the same. No, not at all. But, but it does lead. They can they, go together. They can go together really well. And you can fall from one to the other very easily. Uh, and I don't know which side I'm actually on the most. I would say that I'm a nihilist who falls into narcissism in my, my darkest places. Cause I, I don't, I, when I read descriptions of narcissism, I don't actually feel I, narcissist, narcissist actually makes me violently angry and makes me want to beat someone to death. So I don't really believe that I'm really a narcissist, but in my certain ch stages in my life, I absolutely fell into narcissism, but maybe that was just other things at, at, at work. Right. How do you know that that feeling isn't just how one narcissist feels about another narcissist? That's true. It could be. <laughs> it's, it's like how, it's like how, you know, that like that old trope, which may not even be true, but it's always in movies and TV shows that like psychopaths can always sense other psychopaths in a, in a converse, in a group of people. Right. Or it's like, or like if, alpha male or it's like Highlander. There can only be one. And so you just, oh man, throwback. <laughs> We're really dating our audience. If you get that reference, good job. <laughs> We can talk about, I guess, my teenage years were very, very different. Yeah. So I'll even go back farther than that because I technically had like middle school relationships that lasted a few days. Well, sure. I also technically <laughs> kissed somebody when I was nine. <laughs> um, I, you know, and it, it would be one of those things where I wanted so desperately to have a girlfriend. And, and so when I would like, you know, send someone a note and they would reply, yes, I'll be your girlfriend. Cause that's right. how you did in middle school. Yeah. Um, for, for everyone our age and <laughs> now I think it's like just texting or whatever. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. So that would happen. And then I would immediately have this sense of dread of what have I done? What do they expect of me? The domino like, effect. Like, like what, <laughs> what have I said into is, motion? What does this mean? <laughs> Am I trapped forever? Like what is happening? And oh my God, and poor child. I would freak out yeah. and you know, within, within a day or two be like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And nothing will have had happened. Like yeah. we, like, like I have, like this happens in between classes. So there's no like, actual right. interaction. See, that's the difference between me and you. I was, I was always like, I can break this off. It doesn't matter. Nothing is permanent. <laughs> Until I get married, then I thought it was permanent, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. So here's the thing. I had this really, and this I think is where the four wing comes into play a lot, is I had this really romanticized view of relationships. And part yeah. of that comes from me being a four, having a really strong four wing. Part of it comes from growing up, hearing the story of my parents and how they were high school sweethearts mm. and they got married when my dad was 17 and my mom was 19. I now know that there's always a story behind that when that <laughs> that kind of thing happens. But when I was a kid growing up, I'm like, oh, they are the pinnacle of what it means to be in a loving relationship. And I want to be like that. That means I, if I'm going to get married when I'm, you know, like 17, I got to start now. Like, you know, I got to start that process right away. Right? As a 13 year old, look, I've got to be looking for it. I know there really was a sense of pressure on that of like, sure, this is yeah. how it's supposed to be. And when you mixed in the religious part of it and, and for me, I, I can't separate those two things. When I talk, when I think through my, and tell my story of relationships, it was very, very much tied to my religious experience. And there was this sense of, you know, there's this kind of normal sense of, or idea of the one in a regular society of like a soulmate or something like that. Yeah. But when you add in 
the religious piece of it. It's not just the one. It's not just a soulmate. It's like a God-ordained person. Like God picked out someone. Right, yeah. For me. And it's it's my job to prepare myself for this other person. Yeah. But I had I had a few things going against me. One, I grew up really isolated most of my early years. And so there the the pickings were slim, as they say. <laughs> um Two, because of that, I also was extremely socially awkward. We've talked about that. Um, I didn't go to school until seventh grade. I was homeschooled before that. And so I, and I had zero social skills, but I, I had, and I had on top of that, I had this expectation of, of what school should be like. And very, um, the, like tied to that was, was the relationship experience. It was like, oh, this is what it means to go to school. And, and then this is what it means to like, you know, start having girlfriends or dating or whatever in the school setting. And I had this very, because all, all I knew of this, this world was through TV. And so it was a very romanticized version. Yeah. I was going to say, because we're in the future, we know you did not get that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it was this very romanticized version of, you know, like this, the storybook romance. And this is, um, but the weird thing about it for me is like, yeah, there was an aspect to it because I was a teenager and, and it was an emotional piece, but it was almost like, this is how normal people operate, or this is like the story for normal people. Like if I want to fit into a, into this world, like this is the path that I have to take. Yeah. Like, so there's that, that aspect of like feeling like I'm outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And so this is how I get into it. But because of that, there was a, there was a sense of desperation. And as you know, if there's a sense of desperation, it's a repellent to, to everyone you are interested in. Yeah. And that's how I was. So I could not get a real girlfriend like my, most of my school experience. And then we, you know, you know, and part of that was when, so those, those middle school girlfriends were from when I first went to school and, um, and then in the, that was like seventh grade. And then in eighth grade, I moved and we talked about this where I had this really traumatic experience when I moved. And, um, my, my new school and no one would talk to me. And so I was a social pariah. And so that made it like impossible for me to get a girlfriend. And that's when I started building up those walls and, and those stories around what that meant and, um, and, and why, and, and how I didn't, I didn't need anyone. And then we moved again, my junior year and I, I, I sort of, I, I was sort of working through that. I was the new kid and I came from a, a much bigger, like, you know, metropolitan city to a smaller town. And so I, I kind of had that going for me. Whereas when I moved to that city, it was at the opposite. I was like small town kid coming in. And, sure. Um, this like redneck kid coming into Metro Atlanta, you know, like the suburbs and it was, yeah. it was not a good fit. Um, I, I came into this new school and there were definitely girls that I was interested in. And they kind of seemed like they could be interested in me, but it never really sort of like, you know, went anywhere and I didn't know how to navigate it. And so at some point, this was like at the end of my junior year and I was 16 and I heard God tell me that I, that I wasn't supposed to date. That's convenient. The worst thing about being in relationships 
are, I can be a know-it-all at times, and I have to really rein in my knowledge or thinking that I know things and just let other people learn for themselves. And a thing that is really frustrating for my husband is that I am a thinker, not a doer, so I will think about eating healthy or exercising or the things that I quote should be doing, but then doing them is not so easy. He's an Enneagram One, so for him, he's like, let's just do the thing. And it's just not that easy for me. The best things about being in a relationship are that my friends call me their personal Google. So they don't have to do the research on something they're not interested in. They can just ask me. I'll do a little bit of research, give them a summary, or I'll read the book and give them the summary. And they're like, good, thanks. Now I know the thing I needed to know. And I'm also a good listener and a good probing question asker. And so when my friends are wanting to learn something or wanting to grow, I am able to ask them good questions and listen. And um, those are the things that I love about being a five in relationship with my hubby and my friends. This is where it starts to get real fucking weird because I inadvertently learned um, the secret to getting girls. And that is to make myself unavailable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep, that is true. So I'm so I I made this decision. I'm like I'm not dating anyone until you know I get I get the signal from God or whatever. Then you got a lot that, of signals that this is the one. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I made that, and it wasn't two weeks. It was like all of a sudden, all these girls that had no interest in me, yeah, started like you know going out of their way to talk to me, and it was the weirdest thing. Yeah. And I did not know how to handle it because I never ever had that kind of attention. Okay. And so all of a sudden I've made this decision. I've committed to God. And I was, I, you know, I went into this whole purity culture thing and was saving myself for my, the one that got picked out for me. Which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. We could go down right. about purity culture and the toxicity of that. Yeah. That, that, that was a, uh, that was a clusterfuck. Sure. Um, or whatever the opposite of that is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's a fucking cluster. <laughs> a fuster cluck. A fuster cluck. Um, Shit. Yeah. And, right. and so I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with all of a sudden, you know, really attractive girls being interested in me yeah. and blatantly being interested in me. So it started with, okay, well, I can, this feels good. I like having someone who seems like they actually like me that I could be interested in. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to hang out with them and we can be friends. We can make this work. And so I would be friends with these girls and, and then it would start to escalate to where like, okay, no, they really like me and they're expecting some sort of response. But I felt like I had made this commitment. And if I, if I, if I did anything, it would like fuck up my future relationship. Sure. And yeah. Oh my God. Don't the, the idea of like being, it was like ingrained in us, right? Like this, right. like it was, the seed was planted that we were like every decision that we made was somehow affecting our future wife. Yes. And you, you, did you like, did you, I wrote a journal side note. Yeah. Like, right. You were thinking about them and what they <laughs> might be doing on the other side. Yeah. I wrote a uh -huh. journal 
to my future wife with several entries about how I'm struggling and she must be struggling, but I'm saving myself. And you were thinking about like one day she would read these things. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I was there with Oh, yeah. I let her read them. It was bad. (laughs) (laughs) It was so bad. Fulfilled the prophecy. (laughs) No, I let let her read them more as a like, look at this shit I wrote. Um, No, I know. I mean, I have those probably somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even... Oh yeah, uh, actually, I think it might be on that shelf over there. I can show it to you. Later. Oh man, uh, I kept it. I kept it because I thought it was funny. Yeah, uh, sure. and I mean, also like it, it's funny because it's so sad, right? So it's also a good reminder of what we could believe in. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, so especially crazy. when we're in that state as teenagers and growing up. So anyway, it it started innocently enough because what would happen would be I would you know start hanging out with them and yeah, it was clear that they liked me. And then I would feel so guilty because I felt like, you know, I'm going against God's will. And so then it would get to this point where I'm like, okay, I got to end this. And I would be like, sorry, I can't be around you anymore. And that would drive them crazy. Yeah. And then it became a game to me. Yep. And I realized that there was certain sort of power that I had. And so going into college, I would try to up the game of like, I wonder if I could get her to like me. And so then I started figuring it out how to do that and got to the point where I'm like, you know, I, I could probably get any girl. I, I got, I got this huge ego complex, right? It's amazing you didn't have sex with anybody. <laughs> oh, I know it was terrible. Um, yeah. it was, <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it's so many things about it was, were, was terrible, but, um, yeah. I, I would always get to that point because I was so ingrained in that culture. Um, and, and because my world was so small growing up that I couldn't see outside of it, I, there was, you know, it, it had gotten me, it had captured me at that point. And, um, and so I, I did end up getting out of it, but it didn't come to college, like later in college. Mm -hmm. And it was. Uh, I kind of met my arch nemesis in that regard. <laughs> okay. Explain. Oh, <laughs> uh, so this, you know, this went on and on and on, um, all the way up until the summer before my senior year, um, which is also the summer that I met my now wife. Um, but this, uh, this kind of happened before that I met this girl was going to my school. So this was when I was going to that, you know, super religious, tiny, um, school that no longer exists because they went bankrupt. Right. And when you're in that world, if anyone's been in that world, you can, you know, you know what I'm talking about here. There are these certain couples that are like the, um, the, like, uh, the, the church couples, right? They're the epitome, like on the outside, they're the epitome of like, they're the holy couples. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, they're put up on a pedestal of like, this is what it means to, you know, be in a God ordained relationship. And there were a few of those in the school. And one of them broke up and the girl from that relationship ended up, um, living in the apartment right next to a friend of mine. And so I actually didn't know her because I pretty much kept to myself for the most part. Um, I had no, I didn't know anything really about her other than she, you know, I'd seen her in this relationship and the guy looked like a complete tool and, um, you know, and that that was basically it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 
And you filled in the rest of the blade. Right. And yeah. I, and for context, I was in this phase of my life where this was the darkest period of my life. And so I had, I had started that deconstruction process and it was like, when I moved down to this new school, I had, you know, taken this game to the extreme. And part of the game that was playing was like, I always kept a, most of myself to myself. I, I would let different people see different parts of me, but nobody, I never let anybody all the way in. And when I went to this new school, it was the first time in my life that I'd ever been somewhere that no one knew me. And so I could, I could really like completely go all in on that and be whoever I wanted to be. And I, I became that like, you know, rebel edgy kid who, uh, which is so funny. <laughs> um, but you know, it was, it was like breaking the rules, like, you know, <laughs> right. sticking it to the man. Hair in the face. Yeah. I, yeah. I had really long hair. Dashboard confession. Yeah. I played guitar, you know, that was also a key component to the whole getting girls to like me. Sure. It's also how you get like either invited to and or crash, uh, parties. Sure. Bring yeah. guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that game. So, um, we started hanging out and it was clear she liked me and I, but I was doing my typical thing and we started hanging out like alone in her apartment and we had, we had this day where it was like, it was like a, it was like a scene from, it really was a scene from a movie. Yeah. Uh, one of those montage scenes, you know, where I don't even, for the life of me, I can't remember how this, this whole thing came together. I was auditioning for, for Chattanooga Idol, what? which was a competition, a singing competition. And the winner got to like skip all of the initial auditions for American Idol and like go straight to Hollywood. Um, and was that real? That was real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I was put on by like I, some local news organization or something. Was like that. I a part of this? That's awesome. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I literally cannot remember how I got into this. <laughs> um, okay. And it was just the, a timing thing where I'm like, I'm going to go do this today. And I think I was telling my friend who lived next to her and she was there and he had to go do something. And I was like, oh, hey, do you want to come? And, and she was like, yeah. Um, so we go and I, I go through the sign up, but there's like this waiting period before anybody can do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, we got like two hours to kill. Let's go like dick around. And so we like, we went and got some food. We went to uh, like Goodwill and tried on a bunch of costumes. And this is played all these games. How did you actually end up fulfilling your <laughs> prophecy of living in a high school TV <laughs> drama? It literally was. And then I you guys like flirted from a distance, like trying on jackets <laughs> in a, a tie. And like <laughs> she wraps it around your neck. You're like pop, yeah. pop out and of there. And we played the game where like um, she picks out a bunch of stuff for me to try on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stuff for her to try yeah. on. And of course, it's like ridiculous yeah. things. You pop out of the like dressing room. That's like, oh. That is exactly how it oh went Oh, my down. God. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And then, of course, I go through the competition and I crush it. And <laughs> I, um, I ended up, I mean, there were like two or 300 people there. Yeah. I ended up placing fourth, but I was the, I was the number one guy. The, th the top three were girls. And, um, and as I was going off the stage, I remember one of the judges was like, man, like, it's so funny. Um, he was like, he's like, man, you, you crushed it. And I was trying to, you know, get you in the top three cause you definitely deserved it. But they wanted this girl for that. And like, oh, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but she got to sit there and like, watch me perform 
Right. And, and like make it through all these rounds and she's like right there with me. And so yep. it's this weird bonding. Sure. Moment. Yeah. Getting, getting to see you like vulnerable. Yeah. But also putting yourself out, but there. also in my prime. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And like getting to really show off. You're yeah. right. Really show off and having all of, like, I'm sure there were like, you know, other girls saying stuff and, and everything. And so in, in your mind, like, come on, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Moving on. <laughs> Some of this is this starting is... to play out in your own TV drama and you're <laughs> so anyway, okay. we go in. we go back to her place <laughs> and I introduce her to the OC. <laughs> uh, and that's where she left. <laughs> no, she loved it. Uh-huh. Um and we we were sitting there for like a couple of hours. And and here's where I say she was my arch nemesis because before Oh, she's your arch she's my arch nemesis. I didn't know we were building up to this. Yes. Okay. Um, well, hey, before we get into this, like, yeah. can we just go ahead and, and and address the fact that, like, as much as I absolutely hate this show, the OC, <laughs> if you know the show, like, I hate it, but I also secretly kind of love it. Because, <laughs> because of, of the place it holds in my heart and the fact that we are friends because of the show, kind of. Like, <laughs> you, we lived together this time. We were kind of friends, but we were almost like, at this point, we were kind of proximity friends, right? Like we were kind of forced into friendship because of the situation, the circumstances. And you were like, you have to watch the show. And I was like, I don't want to. And you're like, no, we're watching it. And so you just turn it on and I'm just like, well, I'm here. So I guess I'll watch it. And then five episodes go by and I'm like, well, I guess I'm still watching this. And by the second episode, I'm, or by the second season, I'm just like, well, shit, I have to know what happens to these characters now. And I know it's not going to end well because it's this kind of show. And then I get to the end of it. And I'm like, yeah, that was a terrible show, but I, I, I was into it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's, that's, and, and it's this, this is the foundation of our friendship and this is how we are fast forward <laughs> a decade and a half or whatever. Anyway. So yeah. So, so you, you showed her the yeah, seat. Yeah. So we're watching it and for like a couple of hours. And so what I was saying is as my arch nemesis is prior to her, yeah, the way the game was played. Was it, it was all about subtext. Yeah. And, and like little hints and things. Um, and w- when there's that kind of ambiguity, there's a lot of ways to manipulate it. There was no ambiguity with her. Mm, okay. And so she came straight out and was like, I can't believe we've been hanging out all this time and you haven't tried to make out with me yet. And I'm like, like I didn't know what to say to that. I was so caught off guard. Yeah. Fuck. What am I gonna do? Yeah. And um and we were and and so you know, some more time went by, and then somehow we ended up. I say somehow. Somehow we ended up laying down in her bed, just uh, hanging out. I think she was the one in charge at this point. <laughs> she was the one in control of the situation. She definitely was. Yeah, uh, she she changed the power dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I'll say like I now just judging from your uh, uh cal- calculation of who, what makes an arch nemesis, I had one too, and I married her, <laughs> and then divorced her. <laughs> oh, thankfully this didn't go that far. Yeah, no, because it probably would have happened the same way. Honestly, yeah, no, she was very much the same way. So I get that, like that, yeah. like calling you out and knowing like how to like get to the 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 bottom of that situation and then figure out how to flip you know mm-hmm. switch the, uh, the whole control dynamic yep yeah get that i totally yep. get it so she she was there and, and she made a couple more comments and the next thing i knew we were making out and nice it was, <laughs> it was I, I was 
Uh, let me see. I was 21, and this was yeah. my first kiss. Oh my god! <laughs> so this was fuck, devastating how, how, how to your. How fucked up like, was that? Well, and this is also devastating to your like whole purity idea, right? Exactly. I went home from that and threw up oh. because I felt so guilty. Like I, I was, I was physically ill because I felt so guilty about that. And that was when I was basically like a big F you finger and was like, you know, fuck this. And, and I just like leaned into it and that's terrible though. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. How um, differently could, could it have gone in your life? Had you been like, wow, this actually happened. Like, and somebody kind of pushed me into it, a place that I never would have gone normally. And somebody, this person. They weren't your arch nemesis. They were like guiding the way. I, I haven't finished the story yet, Cody. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have not finished the story yet. Do you end up having a a, a, a big battle at the end? Um, no, kind of. So we end up, you know, hanging out, making out several times after that. Oh, okay. And. She wasn't a bad kiss. We know that much. Well, I had no context. I mean. That's true. She could have been. She could have been sucking your face like in the... Have you ever seen the Coneheads? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, she I mean, like trying to suck your face I, off? I think it was fine. For me, it was just like, whoa, this is the most amazing experience because I've never kissed anyone before. Sure. Like, I can actually like say, hey, you want to come over and then just make out with someone? Like, oh <laughs> my God. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I did not have that experience. I've made out with a lot of people, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, I definitely remember the worst ones. <laughs> so, and a lot of it too was like, I hope I'm doing this right. Um, and <laughs> you were their per, you were their bad makeout person. <laughs> well, Probably. I wasn't, and I'll I Ooh, yeah okay I wasn't. So okay, um, ego comes into play a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to that. So all right, uh, and and I apologize because I can't tell this story without uh getting a slightly graphic. So, um, put your children to bed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, please. Uh, okay, so. The thing is, though, we were both in this like really religious setting, and so she had kind of these oh, that makes it so much weird, more exciting. weird religious. Oh yeah, hanging up things makes too. It so much hotter. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, she she would say weird shit to me like, "Don't ask me to go down on you. That's too personal." <laughs> like, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about this, dude. Like this, I'm, I just started making out. Like, look. They did not know where you were. Way this down the road. This is why you should actually maybe uh, explain where you are in life. Be like, hey, by the way, you're my first kiss. Well, <laughs> I didn't on purpose. Yeah. Because sure. I was I was playing this role. Right. Yeah. And the thing about me was uh, at this point, like when I say it was my darkest point in my in my life, what I had done was like, I'm just going all in on being this, this, this is the story, at least that I was telling myself, I'm going all in on being this asshole who just like takes advantage of girls. Like, mm. And uh, the crazy twist of this whole thing is like, I don't know where this story is going, but <laughs> the whole twist of this is that she actually has these omissions of insecurity and vulnerability. Well, hold on. So, yeah. Um, so she says stuff like that. Sure. And eventually it gets a little weird yeah. and I get. Um, I also kind of get like feeling dirty, um, from it yeah. and just as I'm just in this really, really weird place. And 
so I basically, I, I kind of ghost her for, you know, a week or something. And in this time, um, I had this, the, I don't know what you call it, epiphany or something like, like this whole situation is really fucked up and I, I, I gotta do something to get out of it. And this was when, sure. Yeah. I seen so much sin this, <laughs> right. but this was when I, this is what prompted me to go see our pastor that I talked about. Classic. And, okay. And, but it was the first time that I ever let someone fully in was when I talked to him. Well, mostly fully in. Um, but I, I told him what was going on because I felt really guilty. And I'm like, I don't know what to do about this. And I'm sure he handled it real well. He handled it really well. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. You know who we're talking about? As n no, but that's, that's not my experience. Go on. We can edit this out, but it, we're talking about Dale. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Um, fucking Dale, Saint, <laughs> Saint and an angel. Uh, we could say and, Dale and nobody knows who that is. That's first. That's a first name. That's true. We're talking about Dale. So, um, this guy, Dale. Yeah. So who married me? Uh, that might be getting too personal. <laughs> he did marry me way later though. He's, he's, he's played a role in throughout my life as well. That's funny. In really weird ways. Also is probably the only Christian that I know of who I genuinely believe has a pure heart of gold. Yes. He's awesome. And truly serves people and loves people wholeheartedly. Like he's amazing. Yeah. So Dale, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I am really grateful for him because he actually yeah. did handle it really well. And he was, he's basically like, he, I explained the whole story to him. He's like, I, I don't really get what the problem is. <laughs> Also, too, I think it's funny how we're trying to ma like mask his identity and we're saying nothing but good things about him. <laughs> I'm going to tell him that he's in the episode in Elizabeth, actually. <laughs> I, I seriously doubt he even remembers this conversation, but it was basically like, a, like well, I'm, I'm yeah. not really seeing a problem here. Like, yeah, you know, it sounds like you're just figuring things out and, you know, it's consensual and sure. and all yeah. that stuff. Oh, man. Um, fucking Dale. Yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. Right. So, um... So I'm, I'm, I'm riding on a high. I'm like, oh, I had this huge breakthrough. Like all this huge weight lifted off my, of my chest of like, oh, this is okay. Yeah. You know, and, and it, or it might be okay. And, and this is the first time I really like opened up to someone and that felt amazing. What if I open up to someone else? And so I, I, I had done something. I don't remember what I did, but I did something to piss this girl off before I go to her. <laughs> um, Yeah. It could be any number of things, but basically sure. I texted her and I was like, Hey, can we meet? I need to talk to you and tell you what's been going on. Oh, okay. So we meet in the gazebo on campus at like 10 o'clock at night when no one's there. It's also very TV. Like, uh, yeah. was there like, was, was there a miss? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yes. Just like in the 1am. <laughs> oh, so fog machines going full blast. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she walks, she walks up and I tell her my whole story and tell her she was the first person I kissed and cause, and like tell her, you know, like there was some heavy petting involved and then I'll tell her like this is the first time any of this stuff's happened to me. And, sure. Um, and was very, very vulnerable with her. Yeah. I've never had a boner with another person. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh. And, and that's, you know, kind of how the conversation ended. And she was like, okay, thanks for telling me. And, you know, we parted ways and then. Um, you parted ways? Well, for the night. Oh, okay. It was late. And, um, and so then the next week, she was not like you, I'm your first kiss. Come home with me. <laughs> well, the next day, uh, we met up again to hang out. Um, 
ended up making out, of course. And then all of a sudden she goes down on me. Oh, and it was, it was such a weird experience. Cause it was like, I was so out of body that I, I couldn't even feel anything. And yet it lasted 30 seconds. <laughs> like literally. You're getting way more personal than I did. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, oh, I love this. Oh, oh man. Okay. I'm all right. Just, I'm just going to go edit it all out before. You are not. I'm the one who edits. <laughs> The best part is getting to know someone, learning all their mannerisms and what makes them tick, all the little behaviors that make them them. The worst probably is kind of similar, just becoming over analytical of the person and just overthinking everything. This is why I say she's my arch nemesis because this happens, right? And afterwards we kind of have a postmortem and i'm like so you said you were never going to do this uh-huh and you just did this with no prompting of from me whatsoever yeah why did you do this and she said well i knew you'd never had it before and i wanted to be your first hell yeah <laughs> this girl is awesome <laughs> This is not your arch nemesis. He, no, I no, you don't understand. Like I it it was it wasn't it wasn't in that kind of a way. It was more of like a manipulative. Sure, yeah, she's a control. And and so I but in that moment How many people listening to this right now? You're not like that's the ultimate fantasy as a five. Like, come on. We but we all want to keep control, but we also want to lose control. Well, yeah, now, but like I'm telling you, at the time, <laughs> at the time, at you the didn't time, know. she completely tore apart all of my constructs. Oh, that's just this is the thing, know. right? But yeah, but this is what I'm saying. At the time, this is but what, now you're like that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it still wasn't awesome. It was super lame, uh, but yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, but <laughs> but I felt I here's a, here's here's what went through my head though. It was like. I, up until this point, was using all of these girls. This was a story that I had. I sure. was using all of these girls, yeah. and I had the tables turned on me, and I feel dirty. Yeah. And Yeah, it actually had nothing to do with religion. It was just that you lost control. Yeah. Sure. And and yeah. and also, like, I got a taste of my own medicine, so to speak. Right. So, okay. Um, and she got a taste of my medicine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I couldn't resist <laughs> oh man so so anyway the the story's going way too long um we end up good though oh man so good but this this needed to happen to me to like just break everything down yeah um it ended up she had some weird ties with her ex of course and when we we kind of like went through this rocky period where I did, I reacted to that very poorly because I felt really used. Sure. And, um, and then, and then she ended up like kind of hooking up with her ex again, but then she told him about me. Ooh. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, there's a song about this on the radio right now. I'll tell you about it later. Anyway. It, it wasn't just like one, it was like the privacy thing that we've talked about, right? Where it was like, mm-hmm. 
like how why would you tell anyone about this like this is my like my thing like this is not something that you yeah i thought we shared share. yeah you, right, you yeah. don't permission to share this um and i was pissed like this is the first time i ever cussed anybody out on the phone um i, I literally cussed her out on the phone well and this is a side note too like just just a, a, an addendum to this conversation we go into any situation uh with another person with the assumption that certain things stay between us right mm. And if you marry them or you're in an intimate relationship, like that's actually part of our foundation is that like, there are certain things that you, there's certain lines you don't cross when it comes to inviting other people into that situation. And, and it's most lines. <laughs> it's most lines. And, 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 and just, just side note, just uh, Madison crosses those lines constantly <laughs> with other people. And every time we have people to our apartment to play like game night or whatever, there's always going to be at least two to three times where she crosses those lines. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, but seriously, so many times that like, I just, I, that, there's so many things that I don't, I don't want anybody else to know. And that's why I'm so open and honest with you. And that's, that's, there's certain situations where like, I'm ridiculously silly and stupid. And I, but because I know that there's a safe space and then she goes and tells something. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, God, here we go. All right. And then they laugh about it and we move on. And it's fine. It's actually fine. It's completely fine. Nothing matters. But, <laughs> but, and, 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 and that's, and that's generally true, right? It, we, generally true. Nothing matters. We freak matters. out about, we uh, freak out about nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. People invading our space or knowing things about us. And, and that's, just, that's actually a really great summation of your story. Yeah. Nothing matters. You know what? Actually, it's really funny because I haven't told this story in a long time. Um, yeah, I've actually, and now that you've said it, I've actually remember hearing this story like 10 years ago. <laughs> very different context. Yes, very different context. Yeah. Um, it's great that we can laugh about it now. <laughs> and, but because of that, you're the first person that's reacted that way, which is like really funny. <laughs> what do you mean? Like other people are like, oh, I can't believe she did that. And you're like, hell yeah, she did that. It's like, that's a fantasy. <laughs> hell yeah. She took control and she just ran with it. Also, like we're in a different we're we're in a different time now. We're totally like women can do what they want. Like take control of the man. You know, I don't give a shit. Also, like <laughs> I don't think that was the issue here, but sure. Oh, I think it was a little bit. Like I don't know. She had insecurities. I'm I'm not gonna speak to those. We don't know her. She's not in this conversation. She's not here in the room. But like you needed that. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Now it it steered you in the wrong direction to some degree, and you're in a different place. And and. Um, it, it did and it didn't like it tore apart all of the constructs at that point. Yeah. And that left me in a really like just raw and vulnerable spot. And what I built back up was the foundation that needed to be there for me to end up having a relationship with Amy. Okay. Because coming out of that, it was, I, it was like a great reset for me. Yeah. And I realized all of the bullshit narrative that I had built up. And, um, I also, I, I realized that what, you know, you can argue all day about whether or not I heard from God. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean you specifically, but you, oh, sorry. you yeah, I would go ahead and argue you did. All <laughs> right. From my personal perspective. But, um, yeah. but, but I had, you know, I was still very, um, I was still very much had a, relationship quote unquote with God at this point. And, and so, but it, it changed because I realized that all the stuff I'd built out around whatever message I may or may not have received was my own interpretation. And I built, I built all the stuff around it. Sure. And all of the constraints 
were the things that I was putting on it. It wasn't like tied to the original message that I actually got. And that point was when, um, because all this stuff happened during the summer, at the end of the summer was when like, I felt like all this stuff was lifted and it opened me up to, you know, here's, here's the thing. This was the big change for me. Um, what happened on the, on like the, the, the other end of this was prior to all of this stuff happening, I looked at all, this sounds really terrible, but it's fucking true. And, um, okay. and, and it is terrible. <clears throat> I objectified all women and it wasn't a, um, it wasn't in the typical way. It was in the very ugly Christianese way of like, mm. I looked at all women as a potential like person to marry. Oh yeah. And so it was like every person, every, every female that I came across, it was like, are you marriage potential? No. Are you marriage potential? No. And it was very much this whole thing. Yeah. And you had your list of pros and it cons. Was, it wasn't, they were objects to be married or not married. Mm. It was so okay. weird. And yeah. I realized this coming on the other side of this and, um, all that stuff broke down and I was like, wait, so I can have a relationship with a female and it have nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was, it was this really cool time in my life where I was like, I'm just going to go like have friendships and relationships with females. Like go ape shit. Like yeah. I'm going to actually get to know females. Like this did not happen before. Like I, I was so, I was so paranoid and so, um, uh, so afraid of stepping outside of this, the, this story that I, um, I, <clears throat> I never actually like built relationships with, with people of the opposite sex because I was afraid of what might happen if I got too close. Sure. Yeah. And the, the religion piece was a whole, it was more of like an, an avenue for my own kind of paranoia of getting too close to anyone. Yeah. Um, and it was a good, it was a good mechanism for that. Um, but now it was like, oh wait, I can just appreciate a person for the person that they are and, and not want to get every, anything out of it on the other end. And so I started hanging out with, um, I even like kind of, I didn't, I, I kind of like, I wouldn't say courted, but it was like this, it was like this early stages of, um, hanging out with this girl, but it was amazing because it was, I genuinely like really was just interested in getting to know her as a person. Like I thought she was cool and mm. I want to get to know you. Like, you know, if something comes out on the end of it, you know, cool. If not awesome. Like I, it, I have no objectives here other than to just, you know, be two people who get to know each other and appreciate the other person. Um, and I needed to go through that because when Amy and I, you know, we actually met the summer that all this stuff was going down. And so it was like the, we met at my lowest point and she obviously was not interested in, in me at all. And she was also in her lowest point, And so it was just like a terrible timing. Um, but it was actually great because it was very contrast to when we, we saw each other a few times that summer, but then we didn't see each other for like six months and, um, we didn't see each other again until like January of the next year. And when we did see each other, there was a noticeable difference in me. Sure. And that attracted her to me. And, and that's how our relationship started. And so I had to go through all of this stuff. Um, but this we went way longer on this than I did. I, and it's, it's really fine. I, it's weird because I don't know how people who are listening to this will perceive this conversation. But for me, it's actually really great because of 
there, there's, there actually is like a, um, like a picture frame of romanticism around this story that you don't intend. And that's the greatest part about it because there's so many parts about your story that's hyper romanticized. And then there's actually a story that is romanticized in a natural and organic way. And I'm able to see it because I've been around since the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. And I see that I've enjoyed having both of you in my life in different ways. And you guys have, have meant a lot to me both together and separately. And I think that that's really interesting because obviously you've created people together <laughs> that we have yes. that you have three, three, uh, three children <laughs> that are very different and, uh, and interesting and, um, but, and you guys are very different and interesting together. And I just don't believe you ever saw yourself with the person that you ended up being with mm. when you were thinking about the type of person that you were writing those letters to. Mm. Yeah. And you didn't see yourself being the person you are now and the way that you would view the relationships that you do. I remember very distinctly living with you in the early days and not ever imagining you with Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, point or her with you. Right. Really? Point of contention. You told me this. Bef oh, maybe. Before she and I got married. No. And I made the mistake of telling her. <laughs> <laughs> shit okay and so for the first few years she did not have a good opinion of you <laughs> and, right. and and mainly because she thought that you thought that she wasn't a good fit for me and and so she was upset about that <laughs> and the irony is i actually thought the other way around <laughs> <laughs> going back again kind of I've, I've thought a lot about recently especially thinking through how it would talk about this conversation in this yeah. episodes. <laughs> we did not know. Uh, yeah, we did not know. And I, um, I was putting off this conversation for a while <laughs> because it's just, it's very vulnerable. Um, and I knew that I couldn't have this conversation without really fully opening up. And, um, you know, there just are, there are certain phases where that's a lot easier and certain phases where it's harder. Mm-hmm. There was a time in my life where I didn't think that it was possible for me to love someone. Yeah. And that's a story that has perpetuated in different times and different degrees throughout my whole relationship, my whole marriage, right? Um, the interesting thing to me is the, this is, a, and this is a crazy story of how that changed. I, I literally, thought that I didn't have the capability to feel the feelings of love for someone because I felt like I'd never felt them. Totally, I, I yeah. didn't think I, I, I was so numb to everything. Like I couldn't feel that. You're saying this is like, as though it's supposed to be shocking to me, <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> Not necessarily you, but maybe some of the people listening, right? I, yeah, I would argue that I think more people are going to resonate with you than you think, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I felt like I, I wasn't capable of feeling those feelings. And the craziest thing happened to me. I had a dream. When was this? This was when I was in college. This was when I was, um, so this was, was fall of 2007. So it was about six months before we met. Okay. And um, it was when I was still living in the dorms. Was it about me? <laughs> yes. Okay. Go on. Um, weirdly, it seems like it was about Amy. Okay. So um, I had a dream where I was with this person on a mountaintop 
and um it was a it was a blonde female and we were um I don't, I don't remember, like, I don't remember the con. This was so long ago. I don't really remember the context, but there was some sort of interaction. And it was like, I started to feel the feeling. And all of a sudden, like this pink light shone all around. And Cody's laughing right now for a reason. And, and it like just permeated all of me and all of the surrounding and all, like all of us. And I felt this intense, overwhelming feeling of love. Like I had never even thought that was possible that I could describe or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I woke up in that moment and I was still feeling that for like yeah. five to 10 minutes later, I was still feeling it. Mm -hmm. And what that taught me was like, oh wait, I can actually feel this because it wasn't just a dream. I was feeling it afterwards. So there's something there. I don't, I mean, you can, you can argue all day about like what that is. If it's just, you know, if it's just purely like biochemical or if it's, it's, you know, something more, but it was a, it was a huge revelation to me because I literally thought I couldn't, I was not capable of, of feeling anything, any kind of intense feeling like that. Um, other than like maybe rage sometimes. <laughs> and so, um, and so I, uh, that was the first spark. And the reason why Cody's laughing is because the first time I met Amy, who is technically a blonde, <laughs> she's technically, um, she's technically a blonde. Um, it was in her, so I was friends with her sister and her sister's boyfriend before I met her. I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, that Abby had a sister, Amy. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I was invited over to their parents' house for lunch and I walk in and it was literally like time stopped. I had this moment and this has never happened before and everything slowed down. And she was in the, she was in the corner of the room, like sitting at this, um, like, um, computer cabinet thing at the computer and Abby went to introduce me to her and she, she stood up and she started walking to, towards me and she has this hot pink hair <laughs> and this Wonder Woman t-shirt and like a uh, pencil skirt and fishnet stockings and high heels and with high heels she's like almost six feet and so um, <laughs> this is very like I was not expecting it because I didn't even know she existed and all of a sudden she was in my world and time completely stopped and it, it was so surreal and it was, I didn't connect those two moments at the time. I connected them kind of later of like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe this was some sort of weird premonition thing or something. I don't know if that even exists. But uh, I, I realized that I could feel those things. And the funny thing is like immediately after that, um, <laughs> she didn't know I was, <laughs> it was not apparent, I, I guess, that I had any, any kind of experience in that moment because she, the, the vibe that I gave off was like, I was, completely like aloof and uninterested and full of myself and <laughs> still playing the game. Yeah. Which was probably true at the time, but I was in awe. And then I realized, oh, she wants nothing to do with me. And then I just kind of moved on for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I had this experience. Was I there for this? No, you weren't okay. there yet. I, I had this experience and then I, um, I kind of, I'm, I moved on, but I, I still don't really know what to make of all of that. But what I do know is that, and this is, you know, we, we, we've told our stories. I want to get into how we, we, we view relationships now because it's very different. Um, yes. But I, I get in, you know, I, I had a very romanticized view as we've talked about. Mm. And that's showed up in a lot of ways. Um, I, I thought that relationships was going, relationships looked like a certain thing and they did, do not at all look like a certain thing. 
And I thought that marriage was a certain thing and it does not at all look like a certain thing. And I thought sex was a certain thing and it is not at all like I thought it was going to be. And so it's just, there's life is so complex and, um, and, and you can't, you can't understand it until you live it. And I was trying to understand it from the outside looking in. Yeah. You're observing. I was observing. Yeah. And I can't, you cannot understand that. But the, the middle of it, when you live it is very messy. Yeah. And it is at times very painful and it, it's, you know, it's, it's fucked up sometimes. Um, and so when we got into the early stages of our marriage, we both came in with a lot of baggage from in different ways. And there was a lot of damage done on both sides. And one of the things that I remember her saying to me was, you know, I thought you were this big romantic because that was the thing that I told her, like, I'm this big romantic. And when we were dating, that was true. I, the way that I plan like dates and our proposal and all this stuff. And it was, it was a very, um, lot, it was a very logical thing for me of, uh, well, this is the thing that you do to woo the person to get them to marry you. And then once they marry you, like then you, you're married and you do something else. Like, but there is this expectation because she's a four. And so there's this expectation that that continues on, which is understandable. Um, but I'm like, okay, well, we're done with that phase and we move on to the next phase. So that was part of it. And the other part of it too was like, well, the thing that I didn't realize until I got into the marriage was, cause we were, we were dating. <laughs> so we started dating in February. We were engaged in uh, October. Um, and then we were married the following April. So it was a very quick turnaround for us as well. And when I realized when we were in the marriage was like, I have no idea how to be in a relationship and I'm in a marriage. I've had no practice for this. Sure. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was a disaster in a lot of ways in the beginning. And we were not, we didn't know how to communicate about things. We didn't know how to like live a life together. We didn't know how to have a place together. We didn't know how to like do, it's all the, it's all the minutia of what it really means to to build a life and, and have the day to day. Yeah. Um, that we, I feel like we just weren't really prepared for. And the other thing is that we also didn't know ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I really value about things like the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and stuff like that is that gave, they gave us frameworks to understand ourselves better and to communicate that to someone else and have them understand it better. And that has helped our marriage in so many ways because we now understand that like, um, you know, oh, Amy needs an emotional connection, right? And that's not a flaw. That's a, that's a, that's a feature, <laughs> right? It's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> yeah. Flaw and feature. Like, let's go with that alliteration. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. Right. I exactly. love that. And, I love that. And I am, I need some space and some alone time and I need to be able to just get lost in my thoughts sometimes. Yeah. And that's not also, a flaw. it's also not a flaw. It's a feature. Yeah. But prior to having these realizations and understanding ourselves in these frameworks, like for the first five or six years, it was very much, you know, it was easy to take those things personally because especially in the beginning, it was like, from her perspective, it was like, oh, you don't want to spend time with me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, this has nothing to do with you. Right. This is about me. Yeah. And I need this so that I can recharge so that I can be a better partner to you. 
Right. But I didn't know how to communicate that. And so it just came across as like, leave me the fuck alone. I want to have alone time. And which obviously did not help the situation at all. And so it's just like, uh, so, so much stuff to learn there. Um, and I, where we've gotten now is in, is so much, is so much healthier and such a better place. And it could have gone the opposite way. Sure. There, I mean, I, there were times where I'm like, I can see our future and it looks terrible. But we made choices and we're intentional about trying to move it in the opposite direction. But I, and, and, and still I, I've told her, I mean, this is fairly recently. It, it sounds terrible, but I, I, and I think fives understand this, but um, it sounds terrible on the outside. It's like, I told her, you know, if, if we didn't have kids, we'd probably be divorced. Yeah. And that's hard to hear. But what I meant by that is the progression of the way that things worked out for us was Amy and I are very different and also very similar. So we're very similar in the most inconvenient ways. And we're very different. We're choosing to believe in the Enneagram, right? Like you're a five wing right. four, she's a four wing five. Right. Like obviously similarity, but different right so we're very we're very comfort you can same side of the same or opposite sides of the same coin right, right. so we're, we're very similar in in the most inconvenient ways and we're very different in the most inconvenient ways and i've never related to you more dating being a five wing six dating a six wing five <laughs> right <laughs> and, and so you get that like she um i mean i'm not airing out dirty laundry she said say whatever you want to say and whatever it's you need to say on she this. did right before this episode. right before this happened yeah um and I also want to caveat the, this <laughs> with, she's probably the best person I know. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's like every, all the issues we have are just a, a, um, it's just a friction is not any kind of testament to who she is as a person. Like she's yeah. like the most loving, kind, caring person that I, I know. And like everything, like she's a lovely person yeah. and I cannot overstate that enough like she's a lovely person right and so i want to i want to caveat that with with the one i'm about to say like what i told her was you know that we would probably be divorced if we hadn't had kids and it was it was the timing of the thing where our there was so much friction in our relationship and the what i realized was the only reason we were still together at one point was that um was the religious aspect of it it was the shame from the religious aspect of it and when that mm -hmm. went away there was, there was no, nothing holding that together, except the only reason that went away was because we got pregnant and mm -hmm. that sent me on this whole journey. And so then now we have a kid and then we have two more kids and it's like, yeah. you know, um, so then I'm, but the difference now is that before, before we were together because of the shame of separating and now we're together because every day I wake up and I choose to be together. Right. Right. We both do. We both wake up and we choose to be together. And it's not some external force that's causing this to happen. It's because we wake up and we do it. Now we might have different reasons like doing it day to day. Maybe some days it's for the kids. Maybe it's some days because we just like really want to be together and, and that's okay. Um, but, but the, the, the reason why there's so much friction though, I, one of the other things that I've said to her which also sounds really terrible is like knowing what I know now, there's a good chance that I would have never chosen to got married. 
And totally get it. Yeah. But that's not to say I shouldn't have gotten married. But if you look at like who we are as people, sometimes it's like it's it's really hard. Like it takes a lot of effort. It's not just one of those things where we're so complimentary that we just both work in our zones of genius all the time and everything works. It's very much like we have to put effort in places that is not, it, it can take a lot of energy from us. And so there's this constant like churning. But the result of that is we've both experienced an insane amount of personal growth. And, and a lot of that has come because of our relationship. If we didn't have the relationship, we wouldn't have experienced that. And if I would have chosen someone who was more compatible, where there wasn't that friction, there wouldn't have been the pain to cause me to grow. And that's the, that's the hard part is like, I can look back and say, yeah, you know, it would have been a lot more convenient for me to marry someone who just sort of takes care of certain things for me or who acts in this certain way or who does this certain thing. That sounds great in some degree, but also like I wouldn't be the person that I am now. And I need to be this person because the person I was before sucked. <laughs> like I, I need to be who I am. And the great, the thing that I'm grateful for is that like, as we've grown, we've grown together. Like we haven't grown apart. And I think that that's the, that's really the thing that has saved us in a way is like, we are, we're both growing instead of just one of us growing. And, and if that, if that wasn't the case, then it'd probably be a different scenario, but we're both, we're both going through this and we're both, um, leveraging this relationship that we have to help, you know, evolve. So the best thing about being a five in general is just the fact that we have such rich inner worlds. And the best thing about being a five in love is that when you let somebody into that world and they just totally get it, we can form such an incredible bond with that person. And it feels like it's just the two of you and your own private universe. Having said that, the worst thing about being a five in love is that once we have let somebody in to see our mind sanctuaries and see inside of us, we can start to feel really vulnerable. As fives in general, we're already a little out of the fray. We feel a bit misunderstood and we're okay with that. We're pretty determined we're okay with that. But I think once we've invited somebody in and we see any kind of rejection from that person, it just cuts a lot deeper. And I think the time it takes to rebuild that trust can be frustratingly long to anybody that's not of any ground five, especially. best part about being in a relationship as a five is that a partner gets me out of my head. She connects to the world and nature and energy in a way that I just don't. She sees a whole layer of existence that I just really have a hard time tuning into unless I'm connecting with her. And on the flip side, I have a lot of strengths in other areas that she doesn't. So we balance each other out. I'm really good with technical stuff and things like that. So that works out well. On the flip side, I think the hardest part about being in a relationship as a five is just that I just forget that I am a person a lot and I don't have a lot of needs in a relationship unless I do and then I get extremely anxious about it. But for the most part, I can just cruise along and I can forget to nurture the relationship in a way that my partner would like. And so that makes it tough sometimes. But I was able to pull through that and able to be stronger together than I think we would be apart. I think, I think as fives, it's really easy for us. You know, we, we don't, we don't claim to be Enneagram five or Enneagram experts. Not at all. Um, definitely not. 
But I, I, I would say that I know myself pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think you know yourself pretty well. And we know each other pretty well. It's, it's really easy for us as fives and just as ourselves to view life as either it's one or two paths. It's the path that we chose, that we paved, that we, we, we chose as the easy route, or it's the hard route. We, we look at life as either a life, it's, it's a story of, of convenience where we manipulate the situation where everything works out in our favor. Or it's the story where through the forging of fire and friction, we become the person we never thought we could be because we didn't deserve to be that person because we actually went through the things that were hard and inconvenient. Yeah. And what actually happens is a mixture of a little bit of both. Yep. And there's a certain point in our life where we choose to acknowledge both aspects of that and just embrace the uncomfortable and the, the, the hard parts of our life that it, I spent a lot of this, this story acknowledging that I was in control of a lot of it. And I look back on my life and see that for the majority of my life, I'll be 35 this year. I spent most of my life believing this narrative that if it was meant to be, it'll come easily. And that's actually the opposite. Hmm. But I will put this caveat in there to, to say that there's a lot of hard shit that's happened in my life. And I don't necessarily believe First of all, I don't believe that anything was supposed to be or meant to be. And so I just want to put that, that, that framework in there that I'm saying this from that perspective. I've met, spent most of my life also believing that like there was some type of narrative or there was, so, there was some type of um, destiny that I was supposed to fulfill or live or whatever. And I, I, I genuinely believe that's what most fives believe, even if they're not religious. I think that most fives believe that they're meant for something. Or they're supposed to be something. Or they're supposed to be important for something. And I'm not necessarily dis- discrediting that because I believe that some of the greatest people in the world believed that at some point or throughout their entire life. And they actually did become those things. But as fives, I think it's easy for us to discredit ourselves early on and we live out that narrative without realizing it and end up choosing the lesser version of ourselves throughout our whole life. And it took me until I was in my 30s and divorced and all the things that was negative and taboo for the entire thing that I believed my entire life before I realized, wow, nothing fucking matters. (laughs) And also like, that was the most freeing thing that ever happened to kind of come back around to what I was saying earlier and to kind of what you're saying. Like, I love a good story. I really do. I spent my entire life for sure. And to this day, very passionately loving like cinematography and storytelling and and a good movie and a good TV show, a good story arc really captures my heart and helps me escape from life. Right. But sometimes the best story arcs are the things that are right in front of you that you don't realize happened. And or are happening around you. And I'm actually living the best story arc that I've ever, ever seen because I have a really fucking crazy story. And when I sit down and, and really say it out loud, I've, I said very small portion of it in the religion episode in the, the season finale of the last season. And it's been since that episode that I've started to really acknowledge and really appreciate my own story and not hold it in a place and in a light of, of darkness and negative feelings and hate almost. 
and start to appreciate the fact that I'm actually on the other side of that. And you actually wake up and choose every day who you're going to live that, that story with and who you're going to make that story with. And I've never realized that more than I do now that love and relationships to me and intimacy to me comes from a place of everything has always been manipulation to me. Everything's always been what I can get out of a situation or out of a person. But for the first time in my life, I remember when I was with, when I was, it had been a while that I'd been with Madison. And one day I woke up and I realized that I didn't not, it wasn't that I couldn't see my life without her or whatever romantic thing you want to say. It was that I didn't want to. And that was a huge change. That was the first time in my entire life that I'd met somebody that I was like, it doesn't matter what she does. It doesn't matter what she says. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what she looks like 10 years from now. I didn't want to see my life without that personality in my life, sharing that story with me. Mm. And my entire life changed. It didn't matter what else I did. It didn't matter what else I chose to do. I, I thought when I got married the first time and then I divorced, I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to get married again. There's no way I'm ever going to do that again because it's a construct. And the only benefit to it is tax, <laughs> right? Utilitarianism. And, but then I started thinking about this person that I met literally right after, like right after the whole situation and somehow just fumbled into this situation, this relationship with this person who for whatever fucking reason cares about me <laughs> and cho chose to love me when I was at my worst and my darkest place and kind of brought me to this place where I'd never been before. It wasn't like she like rescued me or brought me out of this dark place. Like she made me realize what it actually means to care about another person for, for the first time in my whole life. And I don't know, I still said this I wake up every day going, I don't know. And I'm not sure I know what that means, but I know that I don't want her to leave today and I don't want her to leave tomorrow. And so I just keep living my day, my life day by day on that perspective. And then from that, that place of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what a year from, from now holds, but if the entire world collapses and comes to an end tomorrow, I'm going to figure out how to survive, but I'm going to figure out how to survive with that person. Hmm. And as someone who is really utilitarian and also loves the idea of post-apocalyptic worlds, <laughs> that's a big deal. Yeah. Because before her, I always saw myself surviving in a world alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually brings uh, back around full circle, which is great because when we started, I asked you, you know, what would I, what would you say if I told you that I need you? Yeah. And the reason why we're framing the conversation this way is that, you know, I, I, I feel like that is at the heart of so many of our issues in relationships as fives is that as soon as we feel like somebody needs us, we freak out. Yeah. Like we don't want to be needed. We don't want to have those expectations placed on us. And really that comes from a fear of, you know, not being able to live up to those things. Like not like the world asking more of us than we have to give. And this person asking more of us than we have to give. And it shows up in a lot of ways. Like, there are days when I wake up and I'm like, Amy might be better off with someone else. You know, sure. Amy might be better off with someone who knows how to connect with her emotionally to the degree that she seems like she needs. Because I don't feel like that person right now. And, and sometimes I do feel like that person. And sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe I need someone who, you know, doesn't require that of me. And, 
And then, and then at the same time, I'm like, but you know, I, I want this person in my life. Like it's a, it's a, it's a difference between what you said is it's this victim mentality of feeling like we're the, we're caught up in the circumstances and, and we don't have a choice versus waking up every day and, and choosing whatever those circumstances are. So what you said was, I, I want this person in my life, no matter what. And that also means no matter if they have expectations of me or needs of me. Right. And, and the truth is we can't control that. We can't control whether or not someone needs us or has expectations of us. We can do our best to set boundaries and we can communicate those things. And that's a lot of fucking work and we don't necessarily like doing it, but yeah. that is something that, you know, when we choose to prioritize the relationship, that's what we do. And it's because we realize that, you know what, I'm going to be better with this person and we're going to be better. And I don't know what the future brings, but I'm choosing it and I'm choosing, I'm not just choosing this person, but I'm choosing to be, be vulnerable and I'm choosing to know that I and I may not have what it takes sometimes or feel like I have what it takes sometimes, but I know that I can choose to be my best. And the great thing about being fives in a relationship is that we learn. If you can say nothing else about us, we learn. <laughs> and so, and we're eager to learn. Sure. And, and so if we can figure out some of the mechanics of it, some of the frameworks, some of the, you know, the 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 way to go the way to go about progressing and learning um we can be pretty great partners you know because i will say one thing like um we if we are choosing that relationship that's a big fucking deal for us yeah because it is not convenient it takes a lot of energy especially if it's the type of relationship where there are big feelings involved um, and where we feel, you know, need, like somebody needs us, like that's a big deal to us. And so it may not seem like it sometimes, but if we're choosing that, that's a, that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. And, and so it's, and it means a lot to us when people recognize that even if that we're making that decision, that we're making that choice, because it's a big deal to us. Yeah. It was actually really freeing for me to realize that I'm actually in charge of my own story and I get to be the, the narrator to that story. And that part of that story is relationship and the foundation of that, not even just the part, but the foundation of that is relationship. And I get to choose whether or not I'm going to be a certain person or not and choose to love somebody or not. And I've loved a lot of people in my life and I've had a lot of history in my life and chose to, I say, love somebody. I've had a lot of people love me and I've absorbed that love as a villain, <laughs> <laughs> absorbing that power and that energy. And it is a, a much more freeing experience to be the other way around and to, um, choose vulnerability because what to me, intimate intimacy and relationship and love just means vulnerability and letting go of control and letting go of everything that I think makes me who I am and choose to be the opposite. And maybe tomorrow I choose the, choose not to be that person. And maybe I fall back into everything that's unhealthy 
or maybe I get to be the person who chooses story over everything else and gets to be the person that I think I don't deserve to be. So that's what I think. That's what Cody thinks. Hey, it's Josiah, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us in this episode. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com.